This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, one of my favorite shows that I present here on Theater of the Mind is Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Edmund O'Brien in the lead role. He was an American actor who appeared in more than 100 films from the 1940s through the 1970s, often playing character parts. He received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor and the corresponding Golden Globe for his supporting role in The Barefoot Contessa, 1954, as well as a second Golden Globe and another Academy Award nomination for Seven Days in May, 1964. As a teenager, Edmund O'Brien put on magic shows for children in his neighborhood, with coaching from a neighbor who just happened to be Harry Houdini. He performed under the title Nerbo the Great, uh, Nerbo being O'Brien spelled backwards. An aunt who taught high school English and speech took him to the theater from an early age, and he developed an interest in acting. O'Brien began working in summer stock in Yonkers, and his theater work attracted the attention of Pandro Berman at RKO Films, who offered him a role as the romantic lead in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Warner Brothers cast him as the undercover police officer in White Heat, 1949, opposite James Cagney. And according to O'Brien, Cagney said he only had one rule. He'd tap his heart and he'd say, play it from here, kid. And he always did, says O'Brien. I believe it's the best rule for any performer. Cagney could play a scene 90 ways and never repeat himself. He did this to keep himself fresh. From 1950 to 52, we go back to the early 50s when O'Brien starred in the radio drama Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. And the episode tonight is entitled, The Leyland Blackburn Matter. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. Johnny, Bob Hall in Plymouth. We've got a bad thing down here. Oh, what's that? One of our company investigators has been killed. I think you knew him, Gene Reimer. Gene Reimer is dead. Yeah, shot to death. We learned of it this morning. Sent him down to Charleston to look into a murder. Does his wife know yet? She was with him. I mean, she went to Charleston with him. We want to put somebody right on it, Johnny. That's why I called. Uh, oh, sure, Bob. I'll, I'll come right over and get the rest of the story from you. Edmund O'Brien and another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Plymouth Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Leland Blackburn matter. Expense account item 1250, cab fare from my apartment to the Plymouth building. Hey, Johnny. Yeah? 
Oh, hi, Merle. What are you doing down here? From the Gene Reimer shooting. I wondered if it heard. He talked a lot about you. You were a good friend. We learned the business together in the Pinkerton Agency. Almost opened our own office. It didn't pan out. I wish it had. We're going to miss him around here. He was a great guy. Yeah. And Bob Hall's waiting for me, Merle. I'd better get in there. Sure. Good luck, Johnny. Well, you can go right in. Thanks. How are you, Bob? Thanks for coming right over, Johnny. Wouldn't have blamed you if you turned it down. Forget it. I feel pretty awful about it. I gave the case to Gene myself. He wasn't up for one, but there would have been some extra money for him. I knew he needed it. He didn't have to take the case. He didn't have to earn a living this way. It's a funny thing for you to say. Well, there's no other way to look at it. You can't hunt trouble forever without finally running into some. I got the idea that you were his friend. I was. But you aren't hiring a friend, Bob. You're hiring an investigator. If you want me to go to work on this, I'd better get some facts. I don't understand you. What about the case he was on? You said it was murder? A policyholder named Leland Blackburn was bludgeoned to death in his home. How long had Gene been on it? Less than a week. Five days. Had he sent in any report on what he'd learned? No, he hadn't. Is that all? That's all I know. He was staying at the Hotel Lee. His wife is still there. As I said, she'd been with him. I suggest you talk to her first. I will. I'll leave as soon as I can get plane space. All right, John. Good luck. Expense account item two, eighty-five dollars transportation between Hartford and the Hotel Lee in Charleston. It was eight thirty p.m. by the time I checked in, and my first move was to the phone. Yes. It was Johnny, Barbara. Johnny, where are you? The floor above you. The Plymouth Company sent me down to look into Jean's death. Oh, I'm glad you're here, Johnny. When will I see you? As soon as possible. Well, give me just 15 minutes to put a face on it. Come on down. been a long time. I, I can't tell you what a shock it was to hear your voice on the phone. I, I've been thinking about you. Oh? It's it natural to. You've been the only one I turned to when it was trouble. How did the company happen to send you? Because I knew Jean, I guess. Was anything said about us? There was no reason for that. Everything between you and me stopped when you got married. We'd better keep it that way now. Sure. It was a beautiful marriage all the way around. I told you it would be. You remember that? Yes. But there was a side of Gene Reimer that hardly anybody knew. You didn't believe me. I learned to. And you made some pretty serious statements to me after you did. I want to get that off my chest before we go any farther. I don't know how many times you told me that you were afraid you were going to kill him for what he'd done to you. And you meant it, didn't you? Johnny. The last time was less than a month ago. You don't think I killed him? I remember what you said. Johnny, don't. Why did you come to Charleston with him? Because he made me come. Why? Because he... I don't want to tell you. Why not? It doesn't have anything to do with what happened. Then you shouldn't mind telling me. He found out about somebody I'd been seeing in Hartford. I know it sounds cheap, but you must realize... Never mind that. Dean brought you down here to keep you away from this guy. Yes, Johnny, you can't think I killed him. I hope you didn't. For old times' sake, I'd hate to learn that you did. They were good times, Johnny. What do you know about the case Gene was working on? Nothing. He never talked about any of them. Well, I'll start on it tomorrow. Good night, Barbara. Johnny. 
Camp there the next morning to police headquarters where I met Lieutenant Sims, the officer in charge of both killings. Well, looks to me like they piled a load of work on your shoulders, Dollar. You signed to both murders? Chances are that they go together, don't you think? Hard to figure that far yet. Well, what have you got on this Leland Blackburn? The file isn't complete on him. The widow and son refused to authorize an autopsy. Took a few days to force it through, so we got no report. Who was he? An old codger, a pillar of the old South, so to speak. He was a broker, him and his son, Rollin. Pretty wealthy folk. What do you think was the motive? Well, we're thinking it was robbery. Nobody knows how much, but old Leland's wallet was empty when they found it. He just told the phone operator he wanted the police when he was hit. The phone was still in his hand. Well, I'll have to go and talk to the family. Help yourself. Now, this other Hartford man, a likable kind of fellow, you know him? Yeah, I... I know Gene for quite a few years. Makes it bad when it's a friend, don't it? Well, it doesn't help. Do you have anything on his death? No, absolutely nothing. He was shot three times at close range with a thirty-two caliber gun. All three slugs went through him and smashed up on a brick wall behind him. Spoiled him for ballistics. Why did that happen? In an alley off Magazine Street. And that's why we can't figure any connection between that shooting and the Blackburn killer. You know this town? No. Why, no Blackburn had set foot in that magazine street section. They'd live at the other end of the town, south of Broad Street. That's a whole lot closer to heaven, I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Lieutenant. Looks like I've got a lot of cold trail to follow, so I'd better get moving. Later that day, after checking by phone to learn when the sun would be home, I went to the Blackburn residence. It was a warm, friendly estate glowing with southern tradition. The same thing could have been said about the widow, Mrs. Blackburn. But son Rollin must have taken after his father. What I resent most of all is that you are here simply because you suspect either mother and me or both of us of nefarious plot. Now, Rollin. Isn't that right? Murder is a hard thing to ignore, Mr. Blackburn. I am not ignoring it, but I believe our local police are quite able to do what must be done. I just think you'd be interested in having as many people as possible working to clear it up. Naturally, I want to see my father's killers brought to justice. But I don't think father would appreciate the importation of investigators from Hartford. Rollin, please. I came here primarily to investigate the death of the first Hartford man. I'm afraid you'll have to put up with me until I satisfy myself that there's no connection between your father and what that. What possible connection could there be? I don't know. There isn't any. If I hear of you dragging the Blackburn name into a sordid murder in that part of town, I will personally thrash you to within an inch of your life. Rollins, I must insist. I think perhaps that if you left, Mr. Dollar and I could conclude this meeting much more rapidly. Don't you have an appointment someplace? Don't you forget what I said, Dollar. I won't. Oh, I must apologize, Mr. Dollar. You don't have to. The loss of his father has been a great shock to him. And I must say, that other young man who was here as pleasant as he tried to be did leave us with the impression that he suspected us. One doesn't say things like that about the Blackburns. It is an extremely proud and moral family. I understand. I don't want you to think that I... Now, Mr. Dollar, what do you want me to do? Well, I think you've probably been asked these questions by Mr. Reimer, but if you'll bear with me... Of course. Ah... Were you here the night your husband died? Yes. 
I was in the other wing where our bedrooms are. Rollin was there, too. But he came down to the kitchen, sat through there, and found poor Leland. Neither of you heard anything? No. I had my radio on, I remember. But even so, it is quite a big house. It's a beautiful house. Mrs. Blackburn, do you have any idea who could have done this thing? Any enemies of your husband's? I knew of nobody who disliked Leland. He was a charitable, honest man. And a pious one. I'm sorry, Mrs. Blackburn. I won't bother you any longer. My only hope is that I may join him soon. Dollar, Lieutenant. Oh, yeah. What have you been up to? I went out to see the Blackburns. How did you reconstruct the killing out there? Well, like I said, he still had the phone in his hand. He'd been hit a number of times with some blunt instrument. Anything to make you think there was more than one killer? No. Wounds were all on the right side of the head. Struck from behind by a right-handed man. Why? The son. He was a little agitated at my being there. He said killers. What's that? He said he wanted to see his father's killers brought to justice. Plural. What would make him say a thing like that? I don't know. Well, as it stands, it's not worth anything as evidence, but I thought I'd tell you. To me, at that moment, it meant there was a possibility that Roland Blackburn knew more than he was saying. I spent another two hours trying to find something to strengthen that possibility the financial condition of both the family and their brokerage firm. I got no place with it, but I returned to my hotel with the feeling that that one slip was going to develop into the link to connect Gene's death with the Blackburn investigation. The feeling lasted only a few seconds after I met the man who was waiting for me outside my room. Mr. Dollar, I'm Hal Brand. Oh, yeah? I'm the hotel detective here. Oh. I think I'd better talk to you. What about? The woman down on 413, Mrs. Reimer. How'd you find out about me? I've been keeping my eye on her. So you go to see her and checked on you. I had an idea that insurance company would send somebody else. Why have you been watching her? Her husband paid me to. I guess there was something wrong between them. Yeah. A man showed up to see her the day the husband was killed. I didn't get a chance to tell him, but I thought I ought to tell you. Who is he? Richard is his name. George. He's in the Clemens Hotel up the street. He checked in from Hartford, too. <laughs> in the room, Brian. I want to hear the rest of it. Sure. There isn't much more. This Richard showed up at the Rhymer room about one in the afternoon. Rhymer was out, so I didn't get to him. Then he was shot that night about ten. Maybe it don't mean anything. You know where Richard's is now? He checked out this afternoon. Took the 540 plane in New York. Let me pour you a drink, Brian? Sure. You know a man's a fool to marry a woman as beautiful as that? It always means trouble. That's my personal opinion anyway. My wife's as ugly as sin. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Have you told this to the police, Brian? Not yet. Why not? Oh, I figure a couple of days won't make any difference. If the police don't come up with something else, but then I'll tell them. You talk to her. What do you think? I don't know, but I'm going down to see her. Wouldn't be very smart, would it? Maybe not. That's the way I have to play it. 
Help yourself to another drink, Bran, and, and thanks. I've got to see you. Sure, Johnny. Come in. What's the matter? Why'd you lie to me last night? I, I didn't. I, I don't understand. George Richards. Why didn't you tell me he was here? How did you find out? He was seen coming to this room. Why didn't you tell me? I was afraid to. Yeah, that I believe. I put myself out on a limb for you today because I thought there was a chance you wouldn't lie to me. I withheld information. They want a motive for Gene's murder, and I didn't mention you. I didn't kill him. That doesn't mean anything now that there's Richard. I didn't know he was here until I opened that door. He stayed here ten minutes, and I made him leave. I told him to go back home or there'd be real trouble. He didn't leave until this afternoon. I didn't know that. Johnny, I, I know I should have told you last night. I've always trusted you, but I knew how bad the situation would look, and I I just prayed that nobody would know George was here. You weren't covering up for him? No. I didn't know, Johnny. I I didn't know he was still here. Quit it. Quit it, will you? Come on, sit down. Get a hold of yourself. Look, I want to believe you, Barbara. You know that. But it doesn't make any difference now whether I do or not. The police are going to learn about Richards. Are you going to tell them? I imagine they'll tell me. But I can't hold back anymore. And with the answers I'll have to give them, they can probably indict you for murder, or at least accessory with Richards. I didn't kill him. I, I don't know anything about stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I don't need hysterics. I need proof. How can you prove to me that you knew nothing about it? I don't know. Would Richards have done it alone? No. How can you prove that? It's a thing I know. I can't use things you know. I need people and statements. People who will swear that they saw you at the time Gene Reimer was killed. People who will swear they saw Richard. It was nine o'clock. I was here. I can check that. That's all I know. Johnny, stop. Please stop. I can't stand anymore. Uh, all right, Angel. I tried to find an alibi for George Richards that night, but a stranger in a city the size of Charleston is hard to nail down. I went to the Clemens Hotel and questioned bellboys, clerks, maids, and bartenders, but those who remembered him hadn't seen him during the evening in question, and I tried cab drivers with no better success. It was after midnight when I went to bed and nine the next morning when I was awakened by a summons from the police, accompanied by official transportation. Here he is, Lieutenant. Thanks, Sergeant. You can wait outside. Yes. Sit down, Dollar. Thanks. I had an interesting chat with the hotel detective where you were stopping. Oh, I'm not surprised, Lieutenant. What's the matter with you, son? You put yourself in a pretty darn serious position by holding back information from me. Why'd you do it? I'm not sure. You admitted knowing that, Gene Reimer. Why didn't you tell me then that uh, you knew about trouble between him and his wife? Well, I wanted to check the other angles first, the Blackburn investigation. How bad was this trouble? Pretty bad. Reimer had a mean streak that didn't show, except to his closest friends and intimates. You'd say uh, he did her bodily harm? Yep, lots of it. How'd you find out? From her. How well did you know her? I knew her before they were married. In love with her by any chance? If I had been, I would have married her. I know what you're driving at, Lieutenant. The possibility is that, that I came down here to protect her from a murder charge. Well, that's half true. What's that? 
She's been my friend. I didn't want to see her pulled in if she wasn't mixed up in it. You don't think she was? I'll have to leave that for you. I know she had a motive, and to make it better, a possible accomplice turns up. But so far, it's all circumstantial. And we put a searcher out on this man, Richards. That's how good them circumstances look to us. Sure. And I'll bet I can reconstruct your reconstruction. A phony tip to rhyme on how to crack the Blackburn thing, an appointment on Magazine Street, and the payoff. Huh? You break that down? No, but I tried. Barbara has an alibi, but Richards hasn't. Well, i got to have somebody for that killing dollar. I'm going to bring her in. I'm surprised you haven't already. I want to talk to you first. I want you to stay here while I talk to her. Why? Why, you think she'll break down because of me? What's the matter with that board? I'll be right back. i got to go get a man to pick her up. Contemplating suicide. Where's Lieutenant Sims? Just went out the other door. Be right back. Hey, you finally got the autopsy report on old man Blackburn. You sound as if you really didn't believe he was dead. Oh, no, he's dead all right. What is it, Sergeant? The Blackburn autopsy report. Yeah, look here. Hmm? Well, I'll be... Narcotics, user. The press has been waiting for this, Lieutenant. And they've got a right to it. No, wait. Uh, don't give it to him yet. This has been pretty hard on that family. Hold on to it. No use dragging them through any more mud. At least till the federal men go to work on it. All right, sir. You'll be here in a few minutes, Dollar. So relax. I got to run through a few reports while we wait. It was hardly the time for relaxation, but I tried. We sat through an hour of questions to which there was no provable answers. And at the end of it, Barbara Reimer was booked on suspicion of murder and I was released on bail, charged with suspicion of being accessory after the fact. I had only one place to go. Good afternoon, Mrs. Blackburn. Good afternoon. I'm Mr. Dollar. You remember me? Of course I do. I wasn't expecting you. I'm sorry I didn't have time to phone. May I come in? Yes. Your son at home? No, he's at the office. What is it, Mr. Dollar? A girl has been arrested because the police think she killed Mr. Reimer, the other man from Hartford. Oh, I didn't know. I don't think she did it. I don't think I understand, Mr. Dollar. Why have you come here? Because I think you know she didn't do it, Mrs. Blackburn. Mr. Dollar. Could we sit down someplace? Yes. In the drawing room. Now... If you please, sir, what is the meaning of it? Why did you refuse to allow an autopsy to be performed on your husband? Because I believe it to be a revolting and savage practice. A mental torture that no one has the right to ask the survivors to experience. I will not condone it. Usually laws are stronger than human feelings. You know that one had been performed? I refused. Oh, Roland told me there was nothing to fear. He was wrong. I will not condone it. It's a matter of official record now, Mrs. Blackburn. The report says your husband was a narcotics user. He was not. He was. Your son knew it, and I think you did. I shall have to ask you to leave, Mr. Dollar. Please, Mrs. Blackburn, that wouldn't do any good. When I was here before, maybe you remember, your son said something he didn't intend to say. He told me that more than one man killed your husband. He said killers. He was upset. Both murders had something to do with the narcotics your husband used, didn't they? No. The police haven't been able to find a link between the Blackburn name and the Magazine Street section. 
The narcotics made that link, isn't that right? No. Gene Reimer must have found out. He was killed. Now a woman is charged with a murder she had nothing to do with. What else do you want? Oh. We thought we were doing the right thing. Why did you think that? We hoped to save Leland. That's shame. And Rollin, his son, and his widow. Gene Reimer must have learned from you. No. No one was to be told. Mr. Reimer discovered it himself. When he faced us, we begged him to say nothing. But when he threatened us, we told him their names. The names of the people who supplied your husband? Yes. And made a hell of our lives. They've extorted money from us for almost ten years. We of the inviolate family. They killed your husband. They came that night to force him to buy more. And when he refused and tried to telephone the police, they killed him. I want you to tell me who these people are. We told Mr. Rama. And and he I won't go alone. It will be finished then. This farce we live. It would be finished anyway. Yes. To go no further. There are two. One is named Miller. The other, Stone. Where do I find him? You won't go alone. We've caused wonder. I'll be all right. I'll tell you where to find him. I hadn't planned to go alone, but on the way I began to wonder if the time I spent interesting the police wouldn't be used by Mrs. Blackburn to warn the two men whose capture would put the finish to the family reputation. So I didn't contact Lieutenant Sims. Instead, I stopped by my hotel to pick up an automatic and cab to the Magazine Street address by myself. Take it easy up there if I was you. Thanks, I will. Here you are. Thanks, sir. idea pushing in. I just came from the Blackburn place. Where? The old lady is tired of trying to save the family pride. She talked again. What? What other reason would I have for being here? She's ready to talk to the police about her husband. I'm ready to talk to you about Gene Reimer. I don't get it. You'd better start. Come on. Where? Out the door. We'll find our way. Now, listen to me. You can't pull a man around like this without saying why I haven't done nothing. Then why argue? All right, I'll go. Get away from me. Find Stone, I... I gotta talk to Stone. He did get a chance to talk to Stone, but not before Lieutenant Sims heard him out and added his statement and out of the surviving Blackburns, which cleared Barbara Reimer and yours truly. Expense account item three, $110. Miscellaneous expenses in Charleston. Item four... Same as item two, transportation back to Hartford, expense account total. Oh, excuse me. Yep? Hello, Johnny. Oh. Hi, Barbara. I, I thought you were coming over. It's after four. Uh, well, as a 
As a matter of fact, I was just going to phone. I I can't make it. What's the matter, Johnny? I've got another case. What's the matter, Johnny? I, I have to earn a living. All right. You know where to find me if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, I'll try to call you when I get back to town. Okay? Goodbye. Uh, expense count total, $345.75. Remarks? This was a fairly personal assignment, and it brings to mind a fairly personal observation. Cops, private or otherwise, should never marry. They're lousy husbands because they're away from home so much. But more important, they leave too many widows. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien's latest picture is the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were John Daner, Jim Nusser, Jeanette Nolan, Georgia Ellis, John McIntyre, and Larry Dobkin. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverly inviting you to join us next week at this time when Edmund O'Brien returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. You can sing it again on CBS tonight for a whole hour of fun-packed, music-packed entertainment. And maybe Dan Seymour will be calling you to solve one of the tuneful little riddle songs that lead to a chance at radio's largest cash jackpot, $5,000, plus $10,000 more in wonderful prizes. Alan Dale, Judy Lynn, Bob Howard, the Riddlers, and Ray Block Orchestra are on hand to sing and play the riddle tunes leading up to Dan Seymour's Coast to Coast Calls. Be listening again later tonight when Sing It Again comes along on most of these same CBS stations. Now stay tuned for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where you laugh with Lucille Ball and my favorite husband on Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Red Skelton Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Red Skelton Show. The Raleigh Cigarette Program, starring Red Skelton with David Forrester and his orchestra, our singing star Anita Ellis, Gigi Pearson, Berna Felton, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. It's a pleasure to bring you Metro Golden Mayor's popular player and the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton.
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very Somebody thinks it's a hog calling contest over here. <laughs> Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Rod, what's new with you? Oh, nothing much, Rad. I've been reading a book entitled Advancement of Science by Farnsworth Aislop. Oh, you mean Jimmy Starr's little boy, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> Any good? Oh, yes. Say, did you know, scientifically speaking, that love is merely an increase in blood pressure and pulse rate? You can get the same effect by touching your toes ten times? Oh, come now. Surely you've left something out. <laughs> And you know, until I read that book, I never realized how amazing mechanical inventions are. Oh? Take my electric toaster, for instance. Oh? Take my record changer. Or take my typewriter. You got any white shirts? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to go get my truck. I can't just hold it away. You know, the two greatest scientific advancements are plastic surgery and television. Oh, well, they go hand in hand. You know, when television gets in, I'm going to need plastic surgery. <laughs> well, I won't need plastic surgery. Uh, you'll need a girdle. <laughs> Either that or they have to show you in sections. <laughs> I can just hear a program coming on now and saying, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We now present Rod O'Connor in 10 episodes. <laughs> See, I couldn't get it all in myself. <laughs> hey, I wonder how far off television really is. Well, Red, in less than three years, your face will be in everybody's living room. No kidding. Mm-hmm. That's one of the dirtiest tricks science <laughs> You know, television's going to be wonderful. Not only will you be able to see the man in the street broadcast, but you're going to see him killed by a hit-and-run driver. <laughs> well, you know, some people believe television sets will have coin slots on them. No? You pay to see a program. You know, remember the jukebox? Oh, yeah, that's going to be something. <laughs> you drop a quarter in a slot, you'll get Bob Hope. You drop 50 cents, you get Alan Young. 75 cents, you get uh, Fred Allen. <laughs> Dollar, you get Red Skelton. <laughs> And 95 cents change. <laughs> you're also working on an invention where you can drop a dime in a slot and get a sample of the product you're listening to? Oh, well, now that's really going to save a lot of people from running down to the corner drugstore in their pajamas, you know. <laughs> they always say, get, get, get that tonight, you know. <laughs> can you imagine being listening to some face cream program, see? And you drop a dime in the slot. And Lord Esther's wife let you have it right in the kitchen. <laughs> and now Anita Ellis sings More Than You Know. Loving you the way 
that I do, there's nothing I can do about it. Loving may be all you can give, but darling, I can't live without it. Oh, how I'd sigh. Oh, how I'd cry if you got tired and said goodbye. Scrapbook of satire to a story entitled It Pays to Look Well. Our characters are fictional. If there's any similarity to persons living, living conditions ain't too good, are they? <laughs> Chapter 134 is entitled The Cowboy and the Tailor. This is the story of Deadeye who finds that clothes don't make the man. <laughs> Well, I wish I had a horse like yours, McGregor. Old Sardo here, eh? It's pretty hard to handle. Well, I'll tell you, did I? Maybe that big saddle bothers him. What big saddle? I'm riding him bareback. <laughs> Ooh! Well, maybe he's hard of hearing. Ooh! Shoot your gun beside his ear. He should hear that. Did you say beside it or in it? <laughs> Oh, he's all right. That bullet's like everything else with him. In one ear and right out the other. <laughs> Let's climb up over here in the shade, huh? Well, the old town looks the same. Yeah. Yeah, what are you playing? Uh, you ought to know me better than that. Women. W-E-M-N. Women. <laughs> you don't look very presentable to be talking to women. Look at your shirt. It's all dirty and your spats is ragged. What spats? Oh, them darn long underwear. They slipped again. <laughs> I look pretty bad, don't I, huh? You look like Theo Plenty's eyebrows. Before he combs them out. Yeah? <laughs> you should have said John L. had been more striking, you know. <laughs> look at that, huh? Hey! I'm proud of that. That ain't it. Why don't you go across to Dominic the tailor and get rigged up in the new outfit? Okay, let's go. You know, I ain't felt like dressing up since my gal Ida Soda Storm ran away with old Jim Harkins. Ah, good afternoon, gentlemen, to coin a phrase. Howdy. I'd like to get spruced up a little. What do you got in mind? Women, but I got to get some new clothes first. (laughs) (laughs) I want something that'll fit my personality. Well, I'm sorry I have nothing with poison ivy. Well, that... (laughs) 
I'm sorry you said that. <laughs> now, Bidley, put your guns away. Oh, they're a little heavy. I want to empty some of the lead out of them. Now, look, don't be like that. Oh, come on, one little bullet. I want to see if I can deflate that big balloon. <laughs> Just a little joke, old man, no offense. Oh. Now, here, would you be so kind as to remove some of your clothes so I can take your measurements? Okay, I'll take my guns off first. I was in field artillery. <laughs> nice guns. Had a little trouble getting the wheels off, though. <laughs> well, now I'll take off my Mackinac. Now my, uh, Macintosh. Now my fur vest. Now my shark skin vest. Now my wool vest. Well, I'll be. What's wrong, did I? You know that windbreaker I shot a guy for stealing a year ago? Yeah. It just came to it. <laughs> okay, take my measurements. Now, let's see. Shoulder, 29. Yeah. Waist, 52. <laughs> Chest, 25. Chest, 25. Now, wait till I expand it, will you? Well, that's more like it. Twenty-five and a half. <laughs> right arm, thirty-five. Left arm, twenty-one. <laughs> left arm, twenty-one. How did that happen? Well, me and my wife have twin beds, and she likes to sleep holding hands. Oh, McGregor. Yeah, did I? Duck over to old Mac Davis's place and see if Gladys is there. Will All you? right, did I? I'll be back quicker than it takes you to say Lumen Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the name Dead Eye sounds familiar to me. Just me, too. Shot a man, didn't you? Yep, but it was an accident. Fellow opened his hotel window and yelled fire. And I did. <laughs> Where'd you hear about me? All round. So here's something you need, a kerchief scarf. I don't care for that. Look better than that tie you're wearing made of rope. It ain't no rope necktie. I just escaped, escaped a hanging. <laughs> you mean they were going to hang you? <laughs> yeah, hanging was too good for me. They were going to hang me. <laughs> they weren't going to play yo-yo anyhow. <laughs> well, uh, how about some pants, huh? Oh, here's some. Would you like to try them on for size? I sure would. <clears throat> Now, right leg. Now, the left leg. You got a needle and thread. I forgot to take my spurs on. Hey, did I? Yeah? I just wasn't there, but look who I ran into. Howdy, cook. Howdy, did I? <laughs> well, but... <laughs> but ain't my old gal, Heidi. He ain't changed a bit, Heidi. Well, you neither. You're just as bow-legged as ever. Oh, I ain't so bow-legged. Oh, no? Well, then how come you're standing on both sides of me? <laughs> how have you been, Heidi? Happy? What's been happening to you? Huh? Well, that two-time and Jim Hawkins was going to marry me. But something stood in his way. What was it, gal? A wife and four kids. <laughs> he cheated me like he cheated you. Well, I don't remember him promising to marry me. <laughs> no, but you remember the poker game he got you into. Yeah? Well, he cheated you out of your cattle, and them poker cards was marked. With a hot poker, too. 
<laughs> you don't happen to know what happened to old Jim, do you? Yeah. Yeah, I hear he's the head of a black market lumber gang, but is running a clothing store to make folks think he's an honest citizen. Now, you don't mean to tell me that the gent that's waiting on me is old Jim Harkins. Stand behind me, gal. Don't move, dead eye. I've got my forty-five pointed right at your head. Better stand in front of me, gal. <laughs> well, Jim, looks like things are going to happen just you, just like I said. Oh, shut up. No cheap dance hall gal's going to make a chump out of me. Dead eye, did you hear what he called me? Me, a lady? A cheap dance hall gal. Yeah, I heard him. Well, are you going to let him get away with it? Yep. Hey, uh, no, look here, it's none of my business, but uh, why don't you two go outside and shoot it out like real Western gentlemen? Yeah. Oh, no. I remember Deadeye and his one, two, three stuff and how he shoots on two. Well, then maybe we could figure out a new idea. Yeah, fight a duel. Stand back to back. Walk ten steps apart, then turn and blaze away. Okay. Now, he ought to know better than that. <laughs> well, let's go. Come on, boy.
Chapter 135 is entitled Home Tailoring. The finest tailoring in the world is done by the mothers and the grandmothers at home. Of course, it's no surprise that the mean widow kid gets a cut-down suit. Hey, Grandma! Grandpa's gone. Can I take me cowbell off now? Yes, dear. Boy. Oh. Ma, you feel good to get that cowbell off. Hey, Grandma, why does I have to wear a cowboy bell when, when, when Grandpa's home? Because we like to talk freely, and you know too much already. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I, can I run down to the candy store and get me a jawbreaker? Hmm? No, dear. Grandma doesn't have a penny to give you. Well, I'm in the chips tonight, boy. Look, 50 cents. Look. Where'd you get that? <laughs> it's one you didn't find when you went through Grandpa's pockets last night. <laughs> now, Junior, I don't go through your grandfather's pockets when he's asleep. Uh, no, you better be careful, that's all. Grandpa says he's going to put a mouse trap in him. <laughs> hey, Grandma, what you got your finger bandaged up for, hmm? You stop asking silly questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you get your widow finger caught in a widow mouse trap? No, Junior. It was a big mouse trap. Oh, well, looks like Grandpa took me suggestion after all, huh? I told him he'd get better results if he used a gopher trap. But I still don't see how I missed that half dollar. Well, it wasn't in the suit you was ramsacking, see. Oh. It was one hanging in the closet. Now look how black the fire made it. Look, look. What fire? Well, now, don't get excited. I'm going to tell you about it. You see, there was a hole in his pocket and it fell through into the seam. See, so I had to burn up the suit and scrape the ashes for the half a dollar. <laughs> You're kidding me. <laughs> you just keep laughing, kiddo, that's all. I ought to spank you until you can't walk. Oh, yeah? What, are you going to spank me until I can't walk? What are you going to do, spank me feet? <laughs> I knew someday she'd realize she's wearing me body out. <laughs> Junior, you're bad. No, no. I was going to take those old suits and make me something to wear. Well, your coat is still good. But I needed the pants to make the skirts. Oh. Oh, well, maybe I can make you a suit out of the coat. Oh, no, that's not But right. go get my sewing basket. Okay. I couldn't get the sewing basket. Well, here it is, here it is. Can I borrow the scissors? I want to cut this picture of George Washington off of this green piece of paper here. No! Hmm? Put them down. What? What do you want to do, fall on those sharp points and dull them? Well, <laughs> Boy, it sure does love me, don't you? Now, Junior, run upstairs and get your blue pants. Okay. I'll cut the pattern from them out of this wrapping paper. Well, I'm not going to wear paper pants. Goodness, I'm not a lamb chop, you know. Junior, who said anything about paper Goodness, pants? Goodness, you're going to make paper pants. You might as well cut two holes in a shopping bag and put me in there, you know. Put me arms through the handles. Let me walk around. <laughs> Stop acting silly and run upstairs and get those pants. Okay, I will get them. I'm going to go I'm going to get a third. Now, let's see now. Where could them blue pants be? Grandma straighten up my closet and I can't find a chin now, you know. Oh, there they are. I'm going to hurry, but I could slide down the banisters quicker. Yeah. 
Anybody know where I can get a cheap retread job? <laughs> now, get off the banister. Now, don't you hit me. Get... Grandpa says that I could slide down the banister any time I wanted to. Oh, your grandfather should be ashamed permitting you to do things that will hurt you. Oh? Oh, but then when he's sick, he doesn't know what he's doing. I know how to cure his sickness. How? Don't spread this around. No. Shoot his bartender. (laughs) Stop talking like that and come here. Okay. I've got to see if this piece of material is big enough. Yes. Take off your pants. Here? <laughs> I won't do it. They're cold in here. Well, then at least take the stuff out of your pockets. Okay. You want me to empty my back pockets, too? Here. Hmm? Let me help you up on the chair. No, no, no. no. Don't grab me under the arm. I'm tickling you. <laughs> Lift me up in my ears like a rabbit. Stop talking like an idiot. Well, I can't help it. It was inherited, you know. Yes, and you know from which side of the family. Yeah, I know. I know, all right. And Grandpa agrees with me. <laughs> if only you'd try to be intelligent just for once. Well, I will if you'll buy me a dog. Well, uh... A widow dog. What kind of a dog do you want? A widow black and white one. No, no, no. I mean, what breed of dog? He breeds with his nose, I guess. You <laughs> want a mama dog, a mama oh, dog. no, 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 you can't have one. Right. They always have fleas. <laughs> well, the kind I want has puppies. Now, hmm? just forget I said anything. No. There. No. Yeah. I'm tired. I'm going to sit on the back of the chair and tell you he's ready. No, don't do that. It'll oh. slip over with oh, you. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, behave me. I broke me with a skull. Now, now, I now, now you didn't skull. break your skull. Yes, I did. You had a and broke me skull. Oh, poor baby. He fell and hurt himself. Yes, I hurt me skull. <laughs> he's scared. I scared you. Bless his little heart. Yes, bless his little heart. <laughs> Look, I put a dent in my head. Look. Well, stop putting dents in your head. It's hard enough to get hats to fit you. <laughs> now, stand still and you no. won't get hurt. Okay. Oh, where is my needle? No, here it is, here it uh, is. Mm. Good, now fret it, fret it, fret it. Thank you. Now, now fret it, fret it. Mm. What are you smelling it for? I'm not smelling it. It's dark in here, I can't see it. Oh, I thought you were smelling um, it. Junior, your fingers are smaller than mine. Yes. Pull the thread through the needle, will you? Now, hold it down here, hold it down. Where is it, where is it? <laughs> It's so close. You'll get cross-eyed. Cross-eyed? Is that why I see two needles now? <laughs> Junior, stop that. I'm not doing nothing. Well, look at your eyes. I can't. My nose is in the way. <laughs> well, the only way to straighten them is to tap you on the back of the head. Here, 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 here. Straighten them. Don't knock them out. Here. Goodness. Junior. Now, hold this goods around your waist while I sew it together. You mean like that? No, get the nut under your chin. Well, I like it that way. I like my pants on, and I need eat. I don't need a napkin. Oh. Just check my pants and my collar like that. Stand still. Yes. If I accidentally stick you with a pin, you listen to me. Yeah, if I accidentally stick me, you will hear from me, you will. There. Oh, now, stand still while I trim the legs. Oh, no, not me legs. Don't trim me legs. They're short enough now. Not your legs, the pants legs. No, no, the boy, for a minute, I can see myself sitting on a rolly cigarette swinging my feet, you know. There. Now, the, the, the other leg. Yeah. There. That's funny. They're longer in the back than they are in front. 
Well, maybe I shouldn't have leaned over to watch you then. Remember, we'll all be back with you next Tuesday at this same time. Until next Tuesday, then. This is Red Skelton saying goodbye now, and thanks for listening. And by the way, the policeman shows the 22nd and 23rd. I'll be there. Probably many of us don't know that half of all the jobs in the armed services are directly related to civilian occupation. Let us realize that the skills, education, and experience acquired by those in the services make them better citizens and more valuable employees than ever before. Red Skelton is brought to you by the Brown and Williamson Tobacco Corporation. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's X-1, followed by Ozzie and Harriet. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.